I didn't change the order, Gail. I just followed the Holy Spirit. <laughs> I think the words of Kathy Baum, Gail's words, um, the worshipful song that, songs that we've been singing, they should pull our hearts in the line that whatever is going on here in our worship and our praise, we know what's going on in heaven, and we as God's people gathered have the opportunity to feel the sacred tug of the Holy Spirit to turn our eyes on Jesus this morning, collectively. And I pray that you would let your spiritual eyes and your heart this morning be focused on the portals of heaven where joy and praise and worship is happening, where angels sing and the greatest servants of God throw their crowns before the throne. That's what we're here for, to worship God. And as the one song we sang, that the truth comes from the word of God. So let's, let's have his word. If you would open your Bibles... First Timothy. We're going to talk this morning about the worst sinner of all. And that's not anything to brag about. But it was bragged about a little bit, not bragged, but revealed by the Apostle Paul, who calls himself the worst sinner of all. So let me just pray before we start. Father, I just pray this morning that as uh, we open your word that you would forgive me for my own sins and that you would allow the words that I speak this morning to be from you for all of our benefit, Lord. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, we said last week a couple things that may have been out of are a little bit of confusion. There were three commands given in the first 11 verses. The first command was to Paul, given, Paul, you go and be my servant, my apostle, my messenger, to the world, and essentially to the world, as a representative, as a, an ambassador for Christ Jesus. The second command was given to Timothy by Paul, who said, Paul, or Timothy, I urge you, which could be translated as a command, I urge you to remain in Macedonia or in Ephesus so that you may instruct, the second command, instruct certain men. Paul was an apostle. Timothy was directed by the apostle to be God's man in Ephesus. And then Timothy was to um, instruct certain men not to teach Strange doctrines or false doctrines. So, Timothy, being the young man he is, I think he probably was thinking, um, well, they've only stoned Paul and they've only thrown him out of the city through the windows of the wall several times, but this is probably going to be pretty easy, right? You know, it's like being an interim pastor. There's nobody ever says anything bad. You just do what God calls you to do. And uh, 
what Paul wants to say in the next few verses is really a revelation of his heart. It's like Kathy standing here this morning and, and talking about how God has spoken to her through all these violent events, all these blessings, all the sweet moments. God was there. Those things happen uh, not coincidentally. They happen because God was there. Hmm. Man, and he showed up in a big way. And, and Paul says, I just want to tell you about me. And he's not bragging. In fact, he is really uh, very much embarrassing himself. But it's his heart, his soul, his feeling. And he says, and I'm just going to read this. If you have your Bible open to 1 Timothy, I'm going to start reading in verse 12. And this is not on the screen because it's a long passage. But you have your Bible, and I know you came this morning to help me, so make sure I write, read the right stuff. First Timothy tw- 1, verse 12. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service, even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor. Yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost of all. Yet for this reason I found mercy, so that in me as, in, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. Paul breaks into prayer or to song, whatever he breaks into right now. He said, now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Do we say that often enough? Do we just break open our thinking and, and, and open our hearts and just say, Lord, to you who are eternal, you're the creator, you're the God who made everything, you're the God who is worthy of our prayer, worthy of our worship, forever and ever. That's what Paul did. And so when we look at that, we think to ourselves, and you know, a lot of times we just read over there, yeah, that's about Paul, he's a good guy, but... But we don't realize what did it take for Paul to become the apostle of Christ Jesus and the commandment given to him by Christ to be his servant. What were the qualifications? As we've worked through some of these things with our own, uh, um, with our worship, not our worship team, but our pastoral search team, we've looked at numbers of resumes where people are trying to tell us why they want to be our pastor and how they're qualified for that position. When Paul writes, we get a small look here in 1 Timothy 1 of his heart and what causes him to rejoice when he says to the Lord God, now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible. These beautiful words were written and, and what Paul is trying to, is going to explain here And he's going to explain, so Timothy will know, be strong and be courageous and don't weaken. Paul says, the glorious gospel of the uh, 
the blessed God, is what saved me. Paul finishes uh, the first 11 verses with this word, verse 11, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. He was entrusted with the, the gospel of God, which is that Jesus came, lived this perfect, sinless life, died on the cross, rose again on the third day, ascended into heaven. And everyone who believes that has eternal life. And everyone who doesn't believe that is not, they're going to spend eternally, they're going to spend eternity someplace, but it will be separated from God because they will die, but it won't be that they're, they will die and they'll be forevermore not existing. No, it means that they will be forever separated from God, forever. Well, let me move on because that's kind of down. He finished with, I, I have been entrusted with this glorious gospel. And then he starts in verse 12, and he starts to make a list of things that were his qualifications. The first thing he says in verse 12 is, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me because he reconsidered me faithful, putting me in the, in the uh, considered me faithful, putting me in his service. The service word there is diaconus, which you know, uh, translated uh, sometimes deacon, sometimes it's just translated servant. It's a great uh, in indication that God, who strengthened me because he considered me faithful, <laughs> and we're going to look at what Paul was doing when God considered him faithful, but he was not I mean, if we looked at this in the, in the Daily Buzzer or the Republican that we read sometimes in the, in, during the day, and we see that somebody has been promoted to the superintendent of the school, we look at their qualifications, and we look at all the things, you know, where they went to college, what they've done in the past, how much salary you're going to get paid. And sometimes we say, yeah, that's, we picked the right guy. And sometimes we say, how did he get that job? Well, Paul says, I was strengthened by the Lord he considered me faithful, and he put me into service. And then he says, and these are my qualification. Verse 13, I was formerly a blasphemer. <laughs> Servant of God? And a persecutor and a violent aggressor. Yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. We do not have any resumes in our pack of resumes that we get through the pastoral search team that include these three statements as qualifications to be our pastor. Well, what have you done in the past? Well, you know, I was a blasphemer and persecutor and violent aggressor. I can see it now. Everybody's looking around the table and looking down at the paper again. <laughs> Paul is admitting that. And if somebody was admitting that, we'd probably just look around and say, uh, well, Ken, do you have a question? Because nobody wants to hire, let me reiterate the word, blasphemer, persecutor, or violent aggressor. Blasphemer is one who works against God. He does things that God has said not to do, and he continues to do them. He was a persecutor. 
It says in 1 Timothy 1.13, even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor. In Acts 26, Paul, uh, Paul gets an instruction from God, and as he is speaking uh, to King Agrippa, in Acts 26, verse 11, he says this, describing what he was before he applied to be the pastor at Christ Community Church. He said, and as I punished, he's been chasing Christians. He said, and as I punished them often in all the synagogues, I tried to force them to blaspheme. And being furiously enraged at them, I kept pursuing them even to foreign cities. How many say this is a good candidate? Paul was a, he was a rude man, furiously enraged. That's what a, a persecutor is. He's, he's one who brings intense violence to someone who doesn't deserve it. And then Paul says again in Acts 22, 4, I persecuted this way to the death. It, they weren't called Christians yet. They were this way. It's the way of Christ. I persecuted this way to death. Binding and putting both men and women into prisons. Okay, here's what Paul did. I was a blasphemer and I tried to make others blaspheme God. Take God's name in vain. Do things that are ungodly. And I persecuted this way. And I, when Paul says that, Paul is, you know, we have all seen kids that they grow up. And I've talked to young people graduate from high school. Well, you know, I'm going to go to college and probably, you know, sow a few wild oats. Have you heard that? Or we've seen adults who say, well, you know, I went to college, and while I was in college, I, I sowed a few wallows, but then I came back to the Lord, and what they mean is they got saved. I came back to the Lord. Paul was not one of those kind of guys. He went to the best college, and he trained with the best Jewish scholars. And he was not just out sowing his wild oats. Paul says uh, in its most complete translation, aggressor indicates he was dangerous, he was insulting, he humiliated people, and he was violent to those he persecuted. You don't know how God could ever use such a person, but he says, how does he do it? Paul, or, yes, Paul gives the answer in verse 14. And the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. In 1 Corinthians, he says in that beautiful chapter on love, and now abide these three, grace, hope, and love. No, faith, hope, and love. Faith is given to us by the grace of God. And in this passage, the grace of our Lord was more than abundant. More than abundant. It's that hyper word, that uh, Hooper is the prefix that he puts on that. It says the, the abundance of God was more than abundant. It's like you go to God, and, and I was saying we were watching a movie last night, and a guy was worried about having 50 cents to pay for his hot chocolate. And it was, it's like you reach in your pocket for some grace, and it's there. And you reach in your pocket for some more grace, and it's there. And you reach in another pocket, and it's there. And you just have grace everywhere. It is abundant. It's just flowing over you. Grace. 
That's what we take the communion table because we celebrate the fact that God died and then presented us the opportunity by his grace. And grace is something different than mercy, but mercy is used here in the same passage. Uh, three times, verse 2, we see mercy. And I mentioned that it was not a, t- or not a typical part of Paul's usual greetings. Verse 13, we see mercy. In verse 16, for this reason I found mercy. When we find mercy, it means that God has not given us what we deserve. God has not given us what we deserve. That's mercy. We deserve punishment for our sins. God has not given us. And when we get to grace, grace is that God has given us what we didn't deserve. And the truth is we all know is that we couldn't deserve we didn't deserve it because we were sinners. We couldn't earn it because we couldn't pay the price. That meant we would be forever separated from God through that second death. But God in his mercy, which means he didn't give us what we deserved, but in his grace he lavished. He, it's like taking a big tub of honey and poured it all over us. That's a sticky thought, isn't it? And Paul says in verse 14, or verse 15, it is a trustworthy statement. I'll come back to that. In verse 14, with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus, abundant grace, faith, and love are found in Christ Jesus. First Timothy 14. That was the qualification. You could send those qualifications to any church in America and assure yourself that you're never going to get called as a pastor. He was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a violent aggressor. And so why was Paul's conversion then so important, so important to us here today in, in 2023? If you know your Bible, Paul's conversion, if you know your Bible, Paul's conversion happened when he met Christ on the Damascus Road. And that description is found in Acts 9. He was actually headed to Damascus to find more Christians so he could punish get them to blaspheme and be an aggressor to them in Damascus and some, bring some back to Jerusalem and prove that he was a real man. I'm a real persecutor. And then we see in verse 15 of 1 Timothy 15, he says, it is a trustworthy statement. There are five of these in the pastoral epistles and we'll look at it when we come to them, but this is the first where it says it is a trustworthy statement. Deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost of all. Paul adds in the next verse how much joy uh, this must be to him. Yet for this reason I found mercy. God gave me, didn't give me what I deserved, so that in me as foremost, Jesus, I know, yes, so that in me as the foremost, Jesus might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. Paul came, an aggressor, a blasphemer, a persecutor, and he did these things 
and God redeemed him. God washed that away by his grace. God gave him mercy and didn't give him what he deserved and filled him with grace and gave him everything he hadn't deserved. So that Paul would be an example to you, Timothy. Read this letter. And then when you can write it all down and pass it along next time, that church and Christ's community in Princeton, Illinois will read that and they will know that they were, they're grace-filled because Christ died. Is there anything anybody's done here that you want to talk about this morning? You see, the reality is lots of times relationships and trust are built on us revealing ourselves to one another. Sometimes we don't even reveal our prayer requests because we're somehow embarrassed by that. Sometimes we don't confess our sins even though we're told to share our prayers. We're told to confess our sins. But we're ashamed, we're embarrassed. Here's Paul. He couldn't get a job in any, in any church. He might not be able to work anywhere else. Paul had all the credentials. He had great schooling, great training. He was renowned in the temple in Jerusalem, in the church in Jerusalem, for being able to persecute the people of the way. Paul could no more duck the truth of the issue of who he was or who he had been. Sometimes we can't do that either. The same truth that we see and listen and observe, sometimes we don't want to grasp it because we don't want to reveal who we really are. Jesus didn't come to beg you to believe in him. Jesus didn't come to say, well, I can't believe in you, or you can't believe in me because of this sin you have. It's the trustworthy statement. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. And there's not a person in this room who can't really truly admit that they are a sinner. And look what Paul does. There's one more thing he says. Paul was a Pharisee, and he had all the right credentials, but he was not acting like a Pharisee because God had to shine the light on him on the Damascus Road and opened his eyes to the truth. The same truth that we see and listen to, Jesus had Jesus come to give us the truth to help save us because we couldn't save ourselves. Romans 10, 9 says, If you believe in your heart, that Jesus is Lord, and confess with your mouth that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance, he says in 1 Timothy 15, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And Paul says, among whom I am foremost of all. Notice that he says, I am foremost of all. He doesn't say, I was foremost of all. Paul recognizes his sin. Paul knew that it was there. Paul knew that it was obvious to everyone that he was a sinner. We can look around here and we know some of you when you were before you became nice. Now, I haven't been here that long. I, I think you're all nice, but there's some history that could be told. 
But Paul says he came to save sinners among who I am foremost. I am still foremost. And he says in Romans, if you recall, he says, the good things I want to do, I don't do. And the bad things I don't want to do, I do. Why? Have you ever had a good thing that you know you should do, but you didn't do it? Have you ever done a bad thing that you know you shouldn't do and you do it? Because even though the grace of God is abundantly poured on us like a jar of honey, we still choose to be stupid and we do something that we shouldn't do or we don't do something that we should do. Paul says, I am foremost of all, still. Romans says, if you believe, you will be saved. That's why Paul came. Paul came so he said that every one of those bad examples in the verses 9 and 10 in chapter 1 of 1 Timothy could have been leveled at him. Every one of those bad examples, you could put those, the list of those up on the wall in the post office and stick all of our pictures under that. Guilty. Not of everything, but of something. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I was the worst. Paul knows the truth. And I was, and you were, if you're saved, always will be the foremost of sinners, but for the grace and mercy of the Lord. Paul says in verse 18, and I'm only going to read verse 18. I'm not going to read, well, I'm going to read 19 too. Verse 18 said, This command I entrust to you, Timothy, my son. The thing he's entrusting to Timothy is the instruction to instruct. Don't be shy. Don't don't worry about your previous life. I entrust to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you fight the good fight. Do the right thing. Fight the good fight. He's not saying only pick to fight with little guys. He's saying there is a good fight. And the good fight is to preach the word of God and instruct others of the lies that are there. It's in finding Titus 1.9. I've told you this one before. A pastor, an elder, a man or a woman in the church has to do two things, actually. Refute error and give truth. That's the gospel. And don't try to worry about that baggage of stuff that's way back there that you don't live in anymore. God didn't put that in a, in a simple plastic bag. He put it in a deep, deep bag. Iron, stone, concrete. And he drops that bag with all of our sins and trash in the deepest part of the ocean. And he puts a sign over it that says, No fishing. Of course, I know there's no fishermen here. Paul knew he was guilty, and Paul knew he couldn't do anything about it. But he knew that he was able to have forgiveness from God. He was guilty, but he was forgiven. It was not like he ever did it before. He did do it, but Christ Jesus died 
and paid the penalty. Now, the last two verses, 19 and 20 in this chapter, I'm not going to worry about it. We'll do that another time because we have to kick two people out of church. And that's a big deal, you know, when you start kicking people out of church. And so it really doesn't go along with what I've been trying to say this morning. But Paul says that. Teach truth. Instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines. And I am an example because I was an aggressor and a persecutor and an accuser and a blasphemer. This morning I just want to say to you, if the Apostle Paul in all his history could be chosen by God to be God's servant, and we have the opportunity to be God's servant by accepting these words as truth, if Paul can do it, can we do it? If you're sitting here this morning and you've still got that big bag of junk dragging behind you, it's going to be there. But God forgives because he came to save sinners. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back. And as they're coming, just to, if you just bow your head for a moment and... Maybe there's just something you need to tell God about right now in your heart. Take a time of quiet. And maybe you've never believed in Christ. You think it's hocus pocus or it's mythical or whatever. If Saul of Tarsus could be changed by God, he was a man who says he is the chief of sinners. Don't you suppose God could do the same thing for you? Amen.